Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. On this week's episode of the Living Leadership Podcast, we're delighted to share with you a talk from 2016's Pastoral Refreshment Conference by Dave Burke. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Dave, uh, welcome to you. Um, Dave's been long as a friend of the conference here. Uh, We share kind of common roots in in Bournemouth, uh, going back a few years. So welcome, Dave. Thank you very much. Without any more ado, let's hear the the word of God through him. That's great. Thank you. Uh, I don't know about you. uh, I have to confess, I worry myself sometimes. And there are lots of reasons. Uh, Marx has talked about how we collude in our own collapse. I don't know if we do that. And one of my worries about myself is my, my favorite authors. And I'm not exaggerating or making this. My two favorite authors are Richard Dawkins and Philip Pullman. <laughs> and uh, for quite different reasons. Uh, Dawkins, I love Dawkins. Anybody who describes a bat as nature's stealth bomber bristling with high-tech detection instruments. You know you're in for a fantastic read if you love the natural world. And I always find that when Dawkins is talking about the thing he really knows about, he drives me to worship because of his amazing ability. No, his amazing ability to describe the world that God has made. The second author that I really love is, is Pullman. Pullman makes my hair stand on it with just the quality of his writing. And uh, in his Dark Materials trilogy, the, the, the second book, The Subtle Knife, uh, one of the characters in this book has a knife with a very special property. It can, he can cut the air with it and peel back a membrane that separates their world from another world. It's a multiverse novel. And they can cross from one universe into the next through a window that's created by this knife. And when I read this, it it gave me the best way I know of imagining a whole sequence of incidents in the Bible. Because that's exactly what's happening, minus the knife. That's exactly what's happening when Elisha is holed up in a city surrounded by the Aramean army, and his servant Gehazi is wetting himself with terror. And Elijah says, Lord, open his eyes. And all of a sudden, the membrane that divides us from heavenly places is no longer relevant. And he sees the armies of the Lord, outnumbering by far the armies of the Arameans. He sees what's really there for the first time. And that astonishing incident in the life of Jesus, recorded in, in, in the Gospels, where Jesus and his friends go to the top of a mountain. And there, the membrane ceases to matter anymore. And they see into this other reality, which is parallel with ours and just as real, or more real than our reality is. And, and, and there, they see dead guys talking with Jesus. So they're not dead. 
Because in this other reality, they're, they're alive. He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They're still there. And this, this reality ceases to exist. John is on Patmos for his testimony to the gospel. And he, he is in prayer. And he is, quote, in the spirit on the Lord's day. And suddenly the membrane doesn't matter anymore. And he sees heaven opened, quite literally. You see why well, this is such a powerful model. And, and suddenly he can see into a dimension that normally we can't see. And he sees astonishing things. He sees a throne at the command center of the universe. And around the throne are the elders and the cherubim and the seraphim and angels upon angels, 10,000 times 10,000, going off to the edges of the universe. And on the throne is a lion and a lamb. And, and there's a conversation about who's got the right to open the scroll that will initiate God's plan. And, and when it's announced that he has the right, the lamb has the right, there's a, a Mexican wave of praise to the ends of the universe and back again as the whole of heaven erupts in worship. And when you read the Gospels and the Bibles, you just get these moments when the barrier, the membrane between heaven and earth doesn't matter anymore. And that little model, the subtle knife, I find it's just a really great way of thinking about it. It helps in prayer because I no longer see prayer as kind of talking to somebody who's probably on the Andromeda galaxy, but talking through a window to somebody who's as close to me as it's possible to get. John knew what it was to see things as they really are. And John chapter 1 is one of those chapters where he describes it. This is the first chapter of John. I guess you want to talk about the glory of Christ. John is your go-to book. And if you really want to talk about the glory of Christ, chapter 1 is the go-to chapter. And he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. The bat, bristling with high-tech detection systems. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In every few years, um, you get a release of couple of times a year, but every few years you get a really spectacularly interesting release of cabinet papers from 30 or 50 or even sometimes 100 years ago. And uh, people are interested in that sort of thing. They've read the history books, they've watched the documentaries on TV. They, they know the facts on the surface of what happened. And then the cabinet papers reveal just exactly how close Khrushchev and Kennedy were to pressing the button during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Just how close we came to nuclear holocaust and it, it terrifies you afresh. I guess the documentaries and the, the news reporting of the life of Jesus comes in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. But the guy who releases the cabinet papers is the man who's seen maybe further through the membrane than anybody else and that's John. In the beginning was the word and he tells us what up till that time was Jesus' mystery name, Jesus' secret name. In 
the beginning was the word. It's a Greek name. It, it's drawn from Greek thinking. Greeks who really probed the secrets of the universe, who really wanted to know, knew that in the end, everything came down to information. They knew that in the end, everything had to have some kind of explanation. There was some source of everything. There was some reason for everything. And so they gave that thing the name, the Logos, the Word. And in the way that they thought, the idea was that, that behind all the words, behind all the information, there was one big word to rule them all. Sorry, I've crossed it through. <laughs> Just one big word. And John begins his gospel, his look through the window. In the beginning was the word. This word was with God, embedded in God. No, the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This logos, this reason, this purpose, this origin is God. And this logos, this reason, this origin became human. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst those of us who love language and particularly love high sounding language. are very disappointed sometimes by the actual words of scripture. The word became meat and lived among us. It's as crude as that. This word became flesh and lived among us. Everything you know, all your knowledge and experience has its origin in him. Everything that you and I are incapable of knowing has its origin in him. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and end. And it's him right there in the center of the universe that the universe erupts into praise and just cannot be stopped. There is so much noise in the book of Revelation because of this, the amazing glory of this word. Uh, when I first became a Christian, a friend of mine put into my hand a copy of a, a book by Alan Stibbs called uh, Search the Scriptures. And this was a kind of way of reading through the whole Bible in three years. And uh, it took me four years, but I kind of worked away, worked away, worked away. And recently I was just reading the book and a quotation in this book just jumped out at me because it was something that Alan Stibbs said. It must have been a long time ago. It would be a great day when his followers discover the actual grandeur of the person they dimly worship. And I think it is. It's a great day in my life, when I see another aspect of the glory and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there have been moments, days, sometimes weeks and months at a time, when my comprehension has just gone up a notch, just a fraction, and it has changed everything. <clears throat> because to know him changes everything. And John pictures Jesus as a single point of blinding light in a dark universe. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hasn't understood it. Different translations translate that in different ways. The original word means grasped. 
But you can grasp to do two things. You can grasp to understand something. Yeah, he's grasped algebra. Not a phrase anybody ever used of me. But you, you can grasp algebra. But you can also strangle something to death. You can crush it, grasp it. And some translations would say that the word has not comprehended it. And other translations would say that the word has not extinguished it. That the darkness rather has not comprehended it, or the darkness has not extinguished it. Because the word can mean two things. And I guess John, being a fairly bright guy actually, meant that deliberately to be ambivalent. A single point of light in an otherwise dark universe, shining brilliantly in a world that struggles to comprehend him and a world that can't extinguish him. I was uh, out on the streets of Sunderland just at the weekend, Saturday night, with the street pastor team. And uh, we had two conversations in, in rapid succession. They just, just kind of happened one after the other in a street in Sunderland in the middle of the night. This guy came up to us. We'd spent some time. Uh, we picked up a girl, a drunk girl, on a street corner. And um, I'm sorry, that didn't come out right. We'd helped, we'd helped a girl on the street corner. She was a little bit drunk, a bit tipsy. We kind of looked after her, gave her a drink of water, and she'd fallen off her high heels, so she'd give some uh, flip-flops so she didn't have to walk home barefoot. Then her friends turned up, and they were reunited, and they were going to look after her, so off she went. And this guy had been watching uh, just a few yards away, and he followed us down the street. And he, he tapped us on the shoulder, turned around, and he said, uh, what you just did was amazing. And I'd just like to, I'd like to give you some money. And he did. He gave me a fiver. It's in the back of my notebook. I haven't done anything with it yet. Um, <clears throat> it was lovely. And he was just really appreciative. He was so moved. Five minutes later, another guy came up to me. And he said, you people disgust me. And I said, why? He said, because you're so certain. And it's all totally irrational. You people disgust me. He said, have you heard of Richard Dawkins? I said, I haven't heard them. Actually, I haven't. <laughs> yeah. So we had a five-minute conversation at the end of which, I mean, the, the thrust of which was, actually, it's not as irrational as you think. You know, there's this and there's this. And in the end, as if to stop me, he said, well, I believe in God. It's interesting. I believe in God. I can't comprehend it. I feel a bit antagonistic towards it. But I can't shake it off either. I can't quite get rid of him. This is part of the glory of Jesus Christ. He's incomprehensible, and yet he's inextinguishable. And he is the majesty at the center of the universe, the logos. There's enough information in him to make a universe, or two, or three, or more. However many universes there actually are, and there are at least two, ours and the one that God inhabits in his full glory, heaven. This is the glory of Jesus. But the world's a tough place. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness hasn't comprehended it. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, God gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of a human decision or of a husband's will, 
but born of God. I was reading this earlier uh, and imagining Kerry going door to door with his newspapers. And imagining Jesus going door to door, looking for somebody who would receive him, looking for somebody who would invite him in. It wasn't a common experience. Not even for him in all his glory, in all his majesty. So he goes to his own, the people who really should know him, the folks who've got the Old Testament, the folks who should at least be able to put two and two together on one or two of these ancient prophecies. But his own didn't receive him either. And his own family thought he was bonkers. At least to start with. But to all who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Those who received him, those who believed him. Terry was telling us this morning that legalism doesn't work uh, in all its forms, in all its manifestations. Legalism tends to leave people defeated and disillusioned and exhausted. And he was encouraging us to, to work by faith, not just to believe in Jesus though once, and that's it we're in, but, but to live by faith, to walk by faith, to to work by faith. Why? Why faith? To those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave. Why? <clears throat> Wouldn't it be much more obvious if it was a question of obedience to a set of rules? Because then you know exactly where you are. Isn't it a question... But wouldn't it be fairer if it was about obedience to a set of rules? And then you wouldn't get this, this terrible thing of awful people who trust in Jesus and go to heaven, and really nice people who, who don't, and, and they won't go to heaven. And, and how do we get around that? What is it about faith that makes a difference? <clears throat> I think sometimes when we talk about faith, it, it'd be better just to substitute the word trust. Because it, it means the same thing. Believe, faith, trust. And that's helpful because actually all relationships begin with trust. So here's an illustration. Boy meets girl. Boy falls in love with girl. Boy tells girl his deepest, darkest secrets. Girl posts deepest, darkest secrets on Facebook. Boy dumps girl. Any relationship is going to depend on trust. If I tell you this, are you going to hang on to it? Are you going to keep it to yourself? Or will you just tell your friends? And so when you meet someone for the first time, like when I met Kathy, it was tentative to start with, and then we talked a bit more about one another, and then a bit more about one another. We got to the point where we were able to talk about anything at all without fear and without wanting to slam the door, right, slam the door. That's how relationships really work. There's a, a movie, Meet Joe Black, where Brad Pitt uh, stars as a traveling salesman. And he's, at the very beginning of the movie, he's killed in a violent car accident. But the, the, the plot of the movie is that uh, death personified then 
um, takes over Brad Pitt's body and, and lives with a family to find out what human beings are like, what makes them tick. And uh, part of the way through the, the movie, there's a party. And there's a, there's a couple in the movie that are having a bit of a struggle. And uh, he sits down next to the guy. And Brad Pitt, who's playing this slightly, slightly disconcerting character, says to this guy, says, Sir, tell me, what is love? And, and the guy says, love is when you can tell someone everything. You can tell them everything about you. You can tell them your deepest, darkest secrets, and it's okay. It's okay. That's love. And that happens, that begins when you trust somebody. Trust, the moment of faith, is the moment when a new relationship begins, and you become a child of God, an adopted child of the living God. When you trust him, a connection is created. And that connection is the most precious thing on earth. But actually, from that point onwards, everything else flows from that connection. Everything that happens from that point onwards depends on that connection. So have a, have a little look at John chapter 15. This is Jesus talking about the vine saying he is the vine. Verse 5 of John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Remain in me. In the old translation, abide in me. Maintain, above all else, your connection with the vine, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we're evangelicals, and uh, because our churches are full of activity and because our lives are full of activity and we need people to engage with the activity that we do because it's all really important, we tend to, at least I do, stress the need for commitment. Commitment is the, is the gold standard in evangelical churches. Commitment is the thing we ask for. Commitment is the thing we appeal for. Commitment is the thing that we generate guilt by worrying the wound so that we get more commitment. And it's completely wrong. Jesus talked far less about commitment than he talked about connectedness. And actually, the most important thing, no, the only important thing in being a disciple is our connection with Jesus. Everything else flows from that. If you're connected, the commitment will look after itself. 
If you're committed but not connected, you're heading for catastrophe. <coughs> so that connection, abiding in him, being in the vine, is the key thing. And the glory of this, the real glory of this, is that the lamb who sits on the throne in the command center of the universe with praise rippling around him for eternity wants to be connected with us. He wants us to speak through the window. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to enjoy him. And he wants to enjoy our company. Imagine, and there's a lot in the news at the moment about world affairs, about big financial affairs. It's the usual media thing. Everything's about to go belly up, so be worried. Be very worried and buy tomorrow's newspaper, okay, because that's important too. Just imagine the telephone rings one night. And uh, it's late. It's half past 11. You're getting ready for bed. The phone rings. You pick it up. And it's an, a, a very nice sounding lady with an American accent. Uh, Good evening, sir. I was sorry to disturb you, but I have President Obama on the phone. Are you free to speak with him? And you think it's a wind-up, of course. <clears throat> so you say, yeah, okay. And, 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 and here he is. And it sounds like him. And it is him. And he says to you, listen, there's some really important stuff going down. We think we're facing a second um, economic meltdown. We think we're on the verge of some kind of agreement to talk about the possibility of talks with Russia about Syria. And we want you in the room. <laughs> There's a jet on the tarmac waiting. We want you in the room. So here's this room. The command center of the universe. Seated on the throne is the Lamb. And in that description in, in Revelation 5, there's a bowl of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. You're in the room. You're in the room. I don't understand the physics of a, a theology of prayer, to be honest, if I'm honest. But when God makes his sovereign decisions, in this other dimension, you're in the room. He wants you there with him. That's amazing. What's he doing? So, I kind of made this decision some years ago that I would never ask for commitment. That I would just encourage connectedness. Because that's that's the thing. That's the only thing. And everything else flows from that. The rest will follow. And I, I came to that the hard way, like many evangelicals do. Because I'm a grafter. I'm a committed grafter. And I put in the hours and then some. And one of my little mottos is, Nobody in this church does more than I do, right? Nobody. And if I discover people are, I get really annoyed and do more. That's the kind of background. 
And a few years ago, actually, I can date it exactly. It was June the 21st in 2008. Uh, myself and a friend were running across, uh, well, we were running near Osmotherley on a, a beautiful ridge in North Yorkshire. It was a gorgeous morning. It was five o'clock in the morning. And we were training for a, a, a big race that we were to take part in. And we set out really early. We got there just before dawn. We set out and we were jogging along this ridge and it was just heavenly. It was astonishing. The sky was blue. There were fluffy clouds in the valleys below us. And we were jogging along, just chatting. And Chris went on ahead and I was lagging behind. And there was a moment, two, moment of two moments in my entire life where I feel that I heard the voice of God audibly. I don't know if it was audible or not. It felt audible. It felt powerful. It felt. When did you last get up this early to be with me? And it was like a thunderbolt, real thunderbolt. And um, I came back from that thinking, I'm exhausted. I'm preaching my guts out. And, and I love what I do. But I need, I need more of, of him. I need more of him. And uh, it began. It didn't begin a period of getting up really early, which would have been the, you know, get really early. Sure, I committed you. It began just a process of just praying in order to be with God and not praying for stuff. Being with God, letting his word wash over me, memorizing some of it, turning it round, turning it into prayer, turning the Lord's Prayer into prayer, turning John's Gospel into prayer, the seven I am's of John's Gospel into prayer. And through the course of that summer, my whole orientation changed. And my sense of exhaustion went. And my sense of excitement about what we were doing grew. And a commitment actually to a corporate model of church life slipped into the ridiculous file. And a passion about the family model of church life grew. And a love for people grew. People I genuinely struggle with grew. And it grew. And this, this Christ who sits on the throne and the command center of the universe wanted me in the room. Wants you in the room. It's the glory of Christ. I suppose it's humility, condescension. Can't imagine why he wants the court jester in the room. But he seems to want that. Service from a platform of commitment, which is what we encourage so often leads to exhaustion and, and can lead to disillusion. But service from a platform of connection, love, passion for Jesus is fruitful. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He wants us to enjoy connection with him. And he wants, I believe, to enjoy connection with us. He made us for his pleasure. He made us 
because he is excited by us and because he enjoys us. So that's Jesus going door to door, looking for people like you, like me, who receive him, who believes him, because this all begins with a moment of trust, like any relationship, and it continues with trust as well. And I suppose that raises a question, doesn't it? Can we trust him? Can you really trust Jesus? And that's important now because I think we're living in an age of disillusionment. I took my mum to see the, uh, the women's marathon in the Olympics in London a few years ago, <clears throat> 2012. It was a major expedition because she's disabled. She needed pushing around in a wheelchair. She didn't like the hotel room. She feels trapped. We had to get her another room. It was an exercise, roughly equivalent to D-Day. <laughs> and uh, we got her there. <clears throat> we got to the to the start of the Olympics. They showed us where we were meant to go. We went to this 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 area where you go for wheelchairs, and we were right by the start, right by the finish, and twenty yards from the medal presentation. I mean, you just do not get better than this. And my mum was a real athletics fan, and I've been an athletics fan for a long time. And uh, this was the experience of a lifetime. It was absolutely amazing. I'm not going to watch the next one. I can't bring myself to watch athletics. Because you can't trust it. Because we don't know that we can believe in this anymore. We knew football was corrupt, but athletics is probably as corrupt, if not more so. We live in an age of disrupt, distrust. Can you actually trust this Jesus? John answers that question. Here's verse 14. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen him in action. And we can trust him. And you can trust him too. We've seen him in action, walking up to losers like us and inviting him, us to follow him. We've seen him in action with people like the woman caught in adultery that everybody wanted to stone, but Jesus wouldn't give up on. We've seen him in action as he forced the Pharisees to walk away one by one. And the healing process for her began before the last one of them had left. The youngest one was last, John says, because... He was still waiting on for a chance to prove himself, like young men do. We've seen him in action when he had this deaf and dumb man brought to him by a crowd, and he was with a crowd, and this poor, terrorized man who had no idea what was going on. He was deaf, he couldn't speak. And the crowd says, come and lay hands on him. And so Jesus goes, and this stranger in complete silence with hands coming to lay on his No, Jesus didn't do that. He took him off on his own and he stood face to face with this man. And he did something he never does. Never did with anybody else. He put his fingers in the man's ears and he looked up to heaven. He spat. And he's communicating in sign language. I'm going to fix your ears. 
not me. <laughs> and he's back. It's about healing. It has always been about healing. And then he said a word that Mark is sure wants us to feel what it's like. So he gives us it in Aramaic as well as translated. And the word in Aramaic is F Fa Fa F Fa Fa. Can you imagine an easier word to lip read? F Fa. And that was the first thing he heard for years. And he could hear. It wasn't that he healed. It's how he healed. It's how he deals with people. We have seen his glory. This tenderness, this toughness, this majesty. We have seen his glory. That's why he's worth living for. That's why he's worth dying for. That's why he's worth civil disobedience if it comes to it in 21st century Britain as attitudes change. That's why he's worth this. Can you trust him? Yes. Yes, you can. Verse 13, 17. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. We don't see God, but we do sense him. And my friend on the street at the weekend, he, he sensed him. I, I believe in God. I believe, yes. I believe there is a God there. We just don't know anything specific. About and for me, that moment came when I was at, at university, my first year at university, and I was looking down a microscope at a, an organism that's about half a millimeter long called paramecium. It's a similar shape to your hand. And as I watched this thing, um, it began to divide. So it's a great thing being a protozoan, because if you're lonely, you can just create a little community all by yourself. And this thing, and I was a bit of a, a, bit of a buff, and I, I was trying to imagine what was going on inside this half a millimeter of protoplasm biochemically, and trying to imagine what was going physically inside this cell to enable this creature to divide its DNA, its nucleus, and its body, and then to become two creatures. And it, was, it really was. It was an epiphany, because at that particular moment, I thought, this isn't, this isn't by chance. We couldn't have got this by chance. No one has ever seen God. I've never seen God. But I began to sense him for the first time. But if all I'd been left with is the realm of nature, I would never have been any the wiser. That summer, I was in Geneva with a friend. We were climbing in the Alps and... Uh, Someone left a copy of the Gospel of Luke in a plastic bag under the windscreen wiper of our car. It was terrifying. I thought it was a parking ticket. But <laughs> I, I picked it off and it was the Gospel of Luke in English. Somebody in Geneva saw an English car and put this Gospel of Luke in English underneath the windscreen wiper. No idea who this person was. I'd love to meet them. And because we were climbing, I just took this with me in the mountains and, and read it during the course of that summer. And as I read the Gospel of Luke, the person Luke was describing became 
real in my experience. He became real. And by the time I got back to university, I was chock a block full of questions and spent half the first term in the basement with the theology books just trying to work out, is this true? Can you trust? <laughs> Jesus makes God real to people like you and me. The light shines in the darkness. And he has made him known. He has made God known. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. You don't need to look anywhere else. He is, in human form, the visual aid of everything that God is, because all the fullness of the deity dwelt in him. Amen. Have you noticed I've missed some passages out? It's kind of preaching. thing. You skip over the bits you don't really want to talk about. But we've got to do it. <clears throat> Verse 6. There was a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And, and because we haven't got forever, we're just going to focus on that little phrase. There was a man. He was not the light. And Jesus set out to recruit a team of men, and women too, to recruit a team of people and to enable them in some way to be lights on their street, in their home, in their city. The true light that gives light to everyone who's coming into the world, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And he invests in them. It's worth having a a quick look, a very quick look, uh, to John 17, where Jesus prays for them. And during the course of John 17, he tells us about how he's formed these followers of his. John 17, verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Verse 9, I pray for them. Verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. Verse 14, I have given them your word. And verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. If you want a syllabus for a discipleship course, there it is. That's how Jesus formed the team that he recruited. That's what he invested into them. And then... He lost them. They all left him. They deserted him. They ran away. Peter hung on as long as he could, but even his heart failed and he ran. And he died alone. Surrounded only by his enemy. Abandoned by his father. He died alone. This is John 21. 
and verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to hold the net in because of the large number of fish. And it then goes on to say that John looks over his shoulder and says to Peter, this is familiar, isn't it? It's the Lord. And Peter, being Peter, picks up his robe, jumps in the water, and wades ashore, full of trepidation, to meet eye to eye the person who had said once, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father in heaven. The person who said once, before the cock crows three times. And Peter, who was determined, absolutely committed, absolutely certain he would never back down, he would never break, broke. A friend of mine chatting to recently, she had a bit of a breakdown, and uh, she said, uh, you know, stress is an engineering term. If you put enough weight on a material, it'll crack. And Peter cracked. And now he's got to go and talk to the Lord on the beach. And Jesus is cooking the fish, I imagine, sitting on the ground. And Peter walks up. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, we're getting the band back together. We need a vocalist. You're interested? That's the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Just a moment of quietness where you can say to the Lord what you feel in your heart. Lord Jesus Christ, we are your people. You've saved us, you've formed us, you've equipped us, and you've connected us with yourself. By your cross and by your resurrection, we have forgiveness and new life. And we're staggered at your love for us. We worship you, our friend, for your unimaginable majesty. And we thank you that you knocked on our door. And somehow enabled us to receive you. And we thank you that we're part of this life. And we thank you for the sap of heaven, the spirit of God that flows through us. We lift our hearts and worship and adore you. Lord Jesus, keep us close to yourself. Amen.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders, or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Blessings. Blessings.